Would you take your Bible with me this morning and turn to uh, Galatians, Galatians chapter 5. Uh, I'm going to read three verses. We're really going to focus on one verse this morning, Galatians 5, 13, and I'll read through verse 15. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, there are a handful in the back there. Go ahead and pick one up at any point um, throughout. And I, I would actually encourage you to go right now and pick one up because to see these words in front of you this morning is going to be really beneficial. Um, that uh, in, And to see the very words of God before you, um, to see that I'm not, I'm not making these things up, but rather that they are what the Holy Spirit has inspired through the Apostle Paul for us this morning. Uh, the, the trajectory of our time is geared towards the Lord's table as well. The elements are back there behind the, the, uh, the door back there. If you don't have or you didn't pick those up on the way in, I would encourage you to do, to do that uh, at some point during, during the sermon. Go ahead and pick those up because at the end of our time, we're going receive to those, receive those elements together. Galatians chapter 5 this morning, uh, beginning in verse 13. I'll read through verse 15. If you have one of those hard, uh, hardback Bibles from the back table, you'll find the sermon text on page 1157. The Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes to the church in Galatia, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. So last week, uh, May 2nd, this morning is the 9th, uh, we started considering six good news principles. How are we called to live in light of the gospel? Last week, we considered the gospel principle of, of welcoming, and this morning we're considering the gospel principle or the good news principle of serving. So these are uh, items, principles that flow directly out of the, the gospel, directly out of our understanding who, who uh, Jesus is and what he has done for us. So you remember last week we were in, in Romans, in, in Romans chapter 15, verse 7, Paul writes, Therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Now, that is a direct statement uh, about good news. We're welcomed into God's family. Uh, we're welcomed into around God's table, and we're welcomed into intimate relationship with God. We're welcomed by God through Christ. And therefore, the implication for us, the principle to live by is to welcome one another. Now, last week we talked about several ways that that should look, and we as a church want to be a welcoming church. And if we're welcomed into God's family, we should treat our brothers and sisters in Christ like our family. Uh, and if we are welcomed around the table, uh, God's table, the marriage supper of the Lamb, the wedding to end all wedding feasts, um, we also should welcome men and women around the table to eat with us regularly. And then finally, we're welcomed into intimate relationship with God. God has revealed everything that we need uh, in Jesus Christ. He has revealed his plan of redemption, and he has shown us and displayed to us his very heart and his intentions for us. And therefore, we should welcome one another into intimate relationship uh, with us as well. 
So uh, in order to be a welcoming church and to reflect a welcoming spirit to the world around us, we, we need to not be divided by opinions. Uh, we need to see the needs of others and work to meet them. That's a lot of what we're going to talk about this morning, uh, especially or even when our circumstances are less than perfect. Um, how often are our circumstances perfect? Uh, very uh, a very small percentage of the time. And then we should not show any favoritism. If we want to be a church that welcomes others, we should not show favoritism. Uh, this is over and over again, the New Testament tells us, don't, don't show partiality. Don't, be, don't show favoritism to people who have money or status uh, or, uh, or that we want to like us or have a particular background. Rather, we should welcome all kinds of people into our, uh, into our midst with regularity. And God is glorified when we do these things because it shows the world that he is greater than our personal pet projects. That he is greater than our, our prejudices and our biases. He's greater than our opinions about what is happening or transpiring around us in the world. So if you weren't here last week, I would encourage you, go back, listen, especially to the first maybe 15 minutes. If you have a chance to go back and listen to the sermon from last week, first 15 minutes to kind of outline how we're going to approach the next six weeks. Now we're, we're like going to be a third of the way through after today, but, but I would encourage you to do that. If you just have 15 minutes, take, listen to the first 15 minutes to better understand why, the reasons why we want to talk about these principles and live according to these things as a church. Uh, and think about them over the course of the next few weeks here. So this morning, I said that our our uh, good news principle for this morning is serving. And this is an idea that comes up over and over and over again in the New Testament. And the rationale and the idea behind it is the gospel. The motivation and the command and the push for us to serve one another is the gospel because we have been given everything in, in Christ. And so this morning, uh, Galatians 5.13 is where we're going to spend the majority of our time. Uh, But like last week, I'm going to outline for you uh, the principle, uh, and hopefully uh, comprehensively, and then I'm going to explain the principle and how how it shows up in the New Testament at large, and then we're going to draw some specific application for us as, specifically, as a church to be living in service to one another. So again, Galatians 5.13. I'm going to give you a statement, and you're going to see it up on the screen. Um, and, uh, and you'll see it in your community group discussion guide. You'll see it in a few places as well. Um, but this is the, the sort of the expanded, exploded out principle uh, for us to, to reflect on this morning. And like I said, I'm going to sort of give you the, the, the re- reason and rationale behind making this statement this morning from the New Testament. So here it is. Every Christian is called to put himself or herself in total subjection to others. Everything that God has given you, your time, your treasure, your talent, is not for you, but is given to you to demonstrate love for God. You demonstrate love for God by using all the gifts he gives you to serve others at all times. There's a lot of uh, very strong, uh, absolute language there. So I want to give you the reason why we're going that direction. So over the course of the next several minutes, I'm going to explain how I came to 
uh, write this principle out the way that I have. So the first thing I want you to do is look in your Bible right now at Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. And there are several things that I want to draw out of this, this text for you this morning. So again, I'm just going to read it again. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Now, the good news, the good news that's contained in Galatians 5.13 is that you were called to freedom. If you're in Christ, you were called to freedom. Now, the first thing I want to highlight here is that word calling. The word calling here is different than we would often use it. We would often use the word calling as a, a vocational calling. Like, I am called to be a, and then you fill in your job or your career, right? This is a different kind of calling that Paul is talking about here. Paul is talking about calling to communicate the full weight of the salvation uh, experience, okay? So he's, he says, you are called to freedom. So we could substitute here um, like something like you redeemed or you were, you were saved. Paul uses this word to stand in. The, the way that we might look at the word called, though, is as part of a long chain of events that occur uh, that make up your salvation. Uh, and, and the way that Paul uses this is sort of uh, to, to communicate a term that we might label effectual calling. So effectual calling means that the gospel is preached and you heard it. The gospel is proclaimed and it hit your ears and it penetrated your heart. Um, you saw and heard the truth of the gospel when you were dead in your sins. There was a call that was extended to you and somehow it broke through that barrier of deadness. That's effectual calling and that's largely what Paul is talking about here. There is an internal awakening in understanding that your sin had separated you from God and was contributing to your separation from him ongoingly. And, and also this was a realization that Jesus is the only way to be saved from eternal punishment that comes through sin, right? As a, as a, as a wage for your sin, death was coming to you. Um, but you heard the gospel and it penetrated your heart through the, through, uh, you heard it and you saw, or you saw it clearly for the first time. You understood you were a sinner and you understood the only way to be saved was through Jesus. And then you're given new birth. Um, remember, we were in John chapter 3 several weeks ago, but when Paul or when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, he talks about being born again. You are actually given new birth. You are awakened. You are alivened. Um, uh, in the older language, we might say you're quickened. You are brought up out of your death and into life. And because of this, you then respond in repentance and faith. You, you say, I'm a sinner and I need to be saved through the blood of Jesus Christ. He's the only way to be saved and I trust him fully for my salvation. This is all what Paul has in view in this one word called. Um, it's all there. It's all contained in this one simple word called. You were called to freedom. The gospel came to you. Um, you heard, you were given new life, you turned from your sin, you were saved. And through this process, you were granted 
what he says, freedom. You were given freedom. Before becoming a Christian, you were unable not to sin. You are sinning continually. You are in a perpetual state of sin and sinfulness. But when the gospel came to you and when in Christ, when you were made alive, you were then freed from that sin. That bondage that held you no longer held you. It was, you were freed from it. The burden of sin drops off of you because Christ paid for it and now you are free. But then the, the reality of this verse, when he says, you were called to freedom. But then he says, you, this freedom has a purpose. There's a reason that stands behind this freedom. God did not call you to freedom uh, to use it then. He says two things. He says, you didn't, he didn't call you to freedom to use it as an opportunity for the flesh. Negative statement. But rather, positive statement, the purpose is to, through love, serve one another. So, he doesn't just say, uh, your freedom is given to you in order that through love you might serve one another, because then you might say, well, yeah, but what about here? He uses, it's all-encompassing. Your freedom is not to be used as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love to serve one another. An all-encompassing, absolute statement made by Paul, this is the purpose for which you were saved. Because through serving others in love, you are demonstrating love for God. This is how you do it. If you say, I love God, but hate your brother, do not serve him, then you don't actually love God. This is an all-encompassing statement. Before we move on from this, though, what I want to say to you is... uh, or just think a little bit about the, the phrase, only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Don't use your, op- this is a possibility. Paul is outlining a possibility. You could use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. A choice lies before you. What are you going to do? Are you going to use it to through love serve one another or as an opportunity for the flesh? And now Paul is saying there is actually a choice to be made right now in this moment. What are you going to use your freedom for? In this little phrase, do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. There's a lot packed in there. So I'm going to sum it up. Before being called, and I've said it maybe just a moment ago, but I'm going to say it hopefully more clearly right now. Before being called to freedom, we were completely ruled by flesh. We were completely ruled by our flesh. The Bible is clear that pre-Christ you were uh, driven by your passions exclusively. Uh, the way that Paul says it in Philippians chapter 3 is he says, uh, of those who are not Christians, he says, their end is their destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on everything. Whatever is happening here is what is driving action, right? However I feel in the moment is what's driving action. If I'm hungry, uh, then I like Esau. Then I'm going to give away my birthright in order to in order to have a bit of a bit of stew, right? That's being driven by your passions. That is making God your your belly your God. But you're freed from that in Christ, Paul says. That that's the point. You're freed from it. Um, but the flesh is still part of your reality. We still inhabit the same body we did when Christ came to us and saved us, when we heard the gospel and responded. 
Our body is the same body. This flesh is still, is still being pulled in those directions. And we're tempted to give up our birthright for a bit of stew. A, a ridiculous exchange. But again, Paul says, in Christ you've been freed from being ruled by your flesh. But, but until Jesus returns, your flesh is still part of your reality and you're sinful and it's still pulling at you. But the good news here is that you're no longer ruled by it. You don't need to be ruled by it. You can actually choose to not, be, uh, not act in accordance with it. You, you will be tempted here, now. You will be tempted to slip back into fleshy activity. A, a little talking behind someone's back at work, that feels, a little, that feels satisfying. Or a little, little bit of extra wine before bed because you deserve it. Your life is challenging. Or a simple lie to avoid conflict. This is the flesh and fleshy activity pulling at you. Your freedom is not to be used as an opportunity to indulge these things, though, but rather to, through love, serve one another. Not to pursue self-interest or to continue to fall into fleshy activity, but to serve one another through love. So, Paul says this, do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Now, okay, so um, he doesn't really spell that out. But the New Testament does for us. So we're going to get we're going to get the wide angle lens and look at uh, the rest of the New Testament and how uh, the understanding of service at least in a couple of instances is is demonstrated to us. So, in the New Testament, there are two words that are used to uh to or translated in our Bibles, our English Bibles as serve. Um the two words are duleo and diakoneo, which are, that's Greek. I, I'm not speaking in tongues. Um, that, the, these are the two words that pop up in the New Testament, depending on where you're looking in your New Testament. The word that Paul uses here in Galatians 5.13 is that first one that I said, duleo. Um, and that verb is translated serve. It has the same root as servant or slave. Um, and so, what we see here and what's being communicated in Galatians 5.13, and we see this maybe even in some of our translations, like uh, the older RSV actually does this, um, where, uh, where we see that there, there is a component of identity. We are not just to serve one another in these uh, fragmented, disconnected, disjointed ways, but our all of life posture is to be in subject to, in service to one another. This is uh, this is a bit of uh, a bit jarring, I think, to our 21st century American sensibilities that compartmentalize everything in our life, right? Um, and so this word literally is driving us to understand that we shouldn't just say "I serve," but "I am a." servant. This type of service flows out of an identity as a servant. This word is extreme because it's part of who we are 
not just part of what we do. A really good definition here is to act or conduct oneself as, as one in total service to another, to perform the duties of a slave, a servant, or to, or a, to, a, of a slave, serve, or obey. This is total subjection to others. So what does it mean through love to serve one another? It's to recognize our identity as a servant. A servant or a slave is not a servant or a slave part of the time. You can't be a part-time slave. Paul wants to indicate an all-of-life posture, not just a once-in-a-while activity. Okay. The second word that we see uh, used in the New Testament, diakoneo, is the word that we get our word deacon from. And this is a word that Peter uses in 1 Peter 4.10 when he writes, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Now I want to see the nuance here. There's a little bit of nuance and most of the time these words are used in these ways. This word is oftentimes used to indicate, not perfectly, but most of the time is used to indicate the nature of service or the act of service. And it's sometimes coupled with the understanding that God has given you things and therefore you should use those things in service to others. You see that right here in 1 Peter 4.10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. We are to use the gifts God gives us to serve one another. God grants us each unique gifts to serve one another. These come according to what Peter says, God's varied grace. You, got, you have different things than the other, other people in this room. Um, your time and your treasure and your talent, your spiritual gifts, these will look different from someone else. So don't spend time uh, being frustrated about what you have. Rather, take what you do have and use it to serve others. That's the point of what Peter is saying here in uh, chapter 4 of 1 Peter. What we have is to be invested in serving one another. So you've been given an identity as a servant, and we're going to continue to work that out here in a second. You've been given an identity as a servant and you have been given gifts to, uh, to use, to serve one another. So I hope you can begin to see where that extended principle I stated earlier is coming from. Every Christian is called to put himself or herself in total subjection to others. Everything that God has given you is not for you, but is given to you to demonstrate love for God. You demonstrate love for God by using all the gifts he gives you to serve others at all times. Um, you're like, okay, that's good. Okay, fine. Um, let me give you a little bit more evidence from the life of Jesus and how Paul writes about Jesus in, uh, in Philippians chapter 2, verses 4 through 7. I would encourage you to write, read the bigger section here in Philippians 2, probably verses 1 through 10, but I'm just going to read 4 through 7. Let each of you not look only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, here it is, by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, by taking the form of a servant. 
Paul says here that Jesus took the form of a servant. He took the form of a slave. He, that's the, that's the, it's the first word that we talked about, uh, dulewo. God, Jesus subjected himself to humiliation, and he took the shape of a slave, of a servant. He came down from heaven. Jesus, uh, if we want to consider his humiliation, he came down from heaven to dwell among creatures who had rebelled against him. And then, while he was here, he was falsely accused, he was falsely condemned, he was stripped, he was beaten, he was crucified before the eyes of many, and he became the scapegoat for the sin of the world. There is no greater humiliation. I don't, it doesn't, whatever humiliation you've experienced in your life at any point, it pales in comparison to the humiliation that Jesus uh, experienced in his. Jesus came in the form of a servant. He took the shape of a servant, becoming subject to all. He put himself quite literally at the feet of his creatures. And by making himself subject to others, he effectively purchased the freedom for us to do the same. Jesus gives us an example of what it means to be a servant. We can look at his life. But not only does Jesus, this is, this is where everyone else in the world stops short. You can, it's Mother's Day, you celebrate your mom, but mom, thank you so much for being a servant. But here's where it's different. Jesus gives you an example of what it means to be a servant, but he also has the power to equip you to be a servant as well. Jesus, through his sacrificial death, frees us from the slavery to sin so that we won't be ruled by our flesh. He gives us the Holy Spirit who strengthens us to keep Christ's command. And he gives us his word, outlining for us what true biblical service to one another looks like. Because of who Jesus is and what Jesus did, we are freed, but not to use our freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love to serve one another. So if Jesus took the form of a servant, you can see where I'm taking this then our identity as a servant, uh, we need to identify with Jesus as a servant taking the same form. You remember last week we talked about formation. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, when Paul writes, uh, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Uh, Transformation is possible. A renewed mind is possible. It is something that comes through the Word of God. And while culture is trying to shape us into self-servants, the Word of God is working actively in our hearts to shape us into servants of one another. God's Word is clear. We should identify with Jesus. And if you're in this room this morning and you call yourself a Christian, you're saying, I'm a, quite literally, a little Christ. My primary aim in my life is to reflect Jesus Christ to the community around me, to those who don't know him and to those who do. The command in the New Testament is to be Christ-like. And identifying with Jesus will lead us to be servants, serving one another. There are two ways that this happens. We identify with Jesus 
by looking at the life that he lives and understanding his example of serving others through love. And equally as importantly, we serve where we identify with others in his death by dying to self and to self-interest. If we take Jesus as a good example only, we'll find our self-interest getting in the way and we will still take opportunity for the flesh like Paul says here in Galatians 5.13. And if we just die to self and self-interest, we'll lack the necessary action to serve others through love. In order to be a servant and to serve one another through love, we must live as Christ lived and die to self as Christ died. So there's the, the data. So, so what? So what do we do with this? What do we do with this? This is an explicit command given to us. Through love, serve one another. So how do we begin practicing that? What does that mean for us? Um, I want to give you a, a, a jumping off point, practically, for your day-to-day. I want to give you four things, practically. There's going to be some sub-points here. Um, you'll see those on your, in your sermon outline. Um, four things, though, to begin practicing serving one another through love. The first thing, well, the first thing is really the only one that has subpoints. So I'm going to give you these first. The first thing, the first way we begin to practice serving one another through love is to consider the implications of all that we just talked about. To consider the implications of identifying with Christ as a servant. What does it imply for us as God's people, as the local church, that Jesus took the form of a servant and we are called to do likewise? What does that imply for us? Okay, first thing. When we identify as servants, no task is beneath us. Now that makes sense. It's very simple, but that, that's where we're at. Jesus washed feet. In John chapter 13, Jesus washed the stinking, dirty, nasty, grimy, fungusy feet of his disciples. Now, you're, you're cringing at that description, but that's the reality. Those feet hadn't had a bath in who knows how long and been wandering around in dusty Jerusalem streets. The, the truth here is that no task was beneath Jesus as the one who took the form of a servant. This is unthinkable. This is, this is literally uh, the responsibility of a slave or of a servant. When you went into a home, you'd have your feet washed by someone who was the lowest of the low. But Jesus does this. Lowest task. It wasn't beneath him. Jesus identified taking the form of a servant. And then he says this to his disciples in John 13, 14, and 15. He says, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do it as I have done to you. Now, no task is beneath us if we identify with Jesus as a servant. If we're talking specifically about the local church here, one of the most difficult areas to find people to serve with regularity is with our children. Whether it be on a Sunday morning or whether it be uh, throughout the the week and activities that we want to to do as a church. I know many of you would prefer not to serve in this way, but when we say 
that there is an activity that is beneath us, or when we say, I don't want to do that, what we wind up doing is effectively being self-serving. When we put limits on areas we'd serve, it's self-serving. We, we admit fully that we haven't died to self, but rather we have uh, elevated ourselves above everyone else by saying, that's not an area that I would do it. That task is beneath me. So, first implication of identifying with Christ as a servant is that when we identify as a servant, no task is beneath us. The second implication is this. When we identify as servants, we acknowledge that it isn't out of obligation that we serve, but out of our freedom. And I'm going to suggest that this represents the biggest mindset shift. Because even when we do serve and when we jump into service with two feet, there are often moments of, ugh, I don't want to do that, right? Um, I wake up in the morning and I'm just like, I don't feel like that's what I want to do right now. But the reality is that if that's our thinking, then we haven't seen our freedom as the motivation or the source of how or why we can serve, but out of duty or obligation. We need to have a full-on recognition that we get to serve others. Really serve them because we are in fact free to. The third implication is when we identify as servants, lack of time no longer stops us from serving. I want to think about the identity component here related to our time. If, if we claim that we have a, say you're a farmer, right? If you say that you are a farmer, and that means that you use your time to farm. That's an earthly label. That's a vocational label here on earth. When we say that we are Christians, we, we are claiming a particular identity. And one of those clear identity components is as a servant. If we're, call, if we're saying, I'm a little Christ and I'm seeking Christ-likeness in my life, then I am a servant. That's what you're saying. This is a heavenly role. Not just, uh, not just an earthly one. It is one given to you by God through Jesus Christ as a servant. God has called you to freedom to be a servant. That is what God has said is universally true about everyone who is in Christ. And if God has called you to be a servant, that means you use your time to serve others. The fourth implication here is when we identify as servants, we don't look to earn things through our service. The words, I faithfully serve others, or I faithfully serve this church, or I faithfully served this organization, therefore I should get. Those words should never escape our lips. Our serving one another is through love. That means it's sacrificial. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, that love does not seek its own. Serving one another in love isn't for the benefit of having a louder voice or accumulating power or positions of authority. The benefit comes through living in joyful obedience to our, uh, our Lord and King and Master, Jesus Christ. Now, I just gave you four, um, uh, four implications of our identity in Christ and taking the form of a servant. There's a lot more. I, just, I would encourage you to reflect on those. But I want to give you a handful of, well, just three briefly, things that we, uh, that we 
can do in order to begin practicing serving one another um, or continue in that vein at least. Uh, we can begin practicing serving one another through, through love um, when we begin praying that we would see the abundance God has given us and then practice gratitude. If you're like, how do I practically serve one, my neighbor this week? Um, begin with gratitude. Discontent will inevitably lead to seizing opportunities for the flesh. But gratitude for what you have now and gratitude for the promise of an eternal life and an inheritance that is coming will lead to a life that serves others through love. So we're recognizing uh, who we are in Christ, right? That identity component, the form of a servant, and then we're uh, recognizing the gifts that we've been given by God in order to serve one another. The third way to begin practicing serving others is to realize who you are to those in this room, this room here, and what they are to you. When, when Paul writes in verse 13, when he writes, uh, through love serve one another, there, he's talking to the church in Galatia. He's talking to a well-defined group of men and women. It begins here. It begins where Paul says it begins. It begins by serving the people here at Buffalo City Church. Um, ask yourself the question, do I care about what happens in this room or to people in this room as much as I care about myself? Do I genuinely care? Do, do I care enough to even know their names? Paul says in Romans 12, 5, he says, so, though many, uh, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Um, to be a member at Buffalo City Church is a declaration, not about getting our way, but about subjecting ourselves to one another in humble service to each other. The final way, and then we're going to move to the Lord's table this morning, the final way uh, to understand or to better practice uh, serving one another is to understand how God has graciously given you or what God has graciously given you in your time and your treasure and your talents. The, the Bible is clear. The New Testament is clear. To use what you have for personal gain or for self and self-interest is to fail to die as Christ has died. And it misunderstands why he gave you everything that you have in the first place. I'm talking about the next beat of your heart to your vehicle, to your home, to your ability to hang sheetrock. Remember 1 Peter 4.10, read it earlier. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as, God's, or as good stewards of God's very grace. A good, a good steward, I think I said this a few weeks ago, but a good steward is someone who we've redefined. We've re redefined good stewardship as investing what we have wisely, according to the world. But the way that Peter uses the, the, the term good steward is using things that God has given in service to others. Look at that. Use it to serve one another as good stewards. Bad stewardship is investing resources in a different way than the rightful owner would. 
God has given you everything that you have to serve one another, and that is good stewardship. So, simply, what has God given you? How can you serve others with it? And this is a, this is a call to action. This is the service that God calls us to as servants, as those who have an identity in Christ. So we're going to move our, t- our time and attention then to the Lord's table and think about the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Think about that humiliation component. Think about the gospel that frees us into serving one another through love. It was a broken body for us that should have been ours. It was the shed blood of Jesus that should have been ours. And so as you take those elements this morning and as you receive those elements this morning, Reflect on the reality that Jesus stood in your place and served you. He put himself in, the, in complete subjection. And he was humble, humiliated in the eyes of, of men. So that you and I don't have to be. But then we get to follow him into it and serving one another through love. Paul in 1 Corinthians 11 writes, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and we had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you, in subjection to you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup and supper said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For often as you Eat this bread and drink this cup. You proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. You see clearly the service, the sacrificial service that Jesus uh, performs for us. And because of this, God has given him the name that is above every name. So that at his name, every knee shall bow and tongue confess that he is Lord. And so that's what we're going to do here this morning. You have the elements in front of you. When you're prepared to take those, the worship team is going to come forward. I'm going to pray. Go ahead and receive those in, in your time as, as we sing and as the music plays. Um, this is for followers of Jesus. If, you, if, you don't, if everything that I said this morning is, doesn't make a whole lot of sense to you, would you come talk to me? Um, but if you're unsure, if it's unclear where you stand with Jesus this morning, would you just let this time pass you by? If you have kids in here, um, credible profession of faith, allow them to participate with you. But, uh, but if that is pending, go ahead and, uh, and take time uh, to, to, to share the good news of the gospel with them um, through what has been talked about here this morning. Let me pray. Lord God, we thank you this morning for the truth of your word. Lord God, we thank you for the, the, the service that we are called to, God, in the strength that you give us through the Holy Spirit to to perform according to that which you have called us to. God, we thank you that this isn't for the sake of earning anything, but because we have been given everything in Christ. There is nothing that we have that is not given to us, and there is nothing that we have that should not be used in complete service to others as a demonstration of love for you. And would you compel us in that way this week? God, and would we show the magnitude 
and the excellencies of Jesus Christ in the way that we live. God, we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.